We'll have time afterwards for fellowship and refreshments. We're glad that you could uh, join us this morning. Um, I wanted to introduce my name. My name is Dan Song. I'm the pastor here at Restoration. We're glad that you could make it um, on this on this Sunday morning after Thanksgiving. As, uh, as we come to the Word of God, today we're actually finishing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, as Jesus went on this mountain uh, to give the sermon, uh, we're actually finishing it now. And next week, if you look at your bulletin, you'll notice that we're going through Christophany. Or other words, some people call it theophany. And I know it's a high theological word, but I invite you to come next week and find out what it is. Uh, because as we go through this Advent season, what we're going to see are glimpses of hope, glimpses of Christ who appears uh, to, to many in the Old Testament. And it's going to be a beautiful anticipation of Christmas Eve service as we experience, as we worship together Christ who was born, as we look to the second Advent when Christ comes back. So I want to invite you to that. Think about maybe people that Maybe you might be interested, coworkers or friends uh, that might want to come during this Advent Christmas season, and I'm, I'm sure that they'll enjoy it, they'll have questions uh, as they continue to seek out what this Christian faith is, as you guys do the work of building those relationships. So um, let's give attention to God's Word in Matthew chapter 7. If, if you don't have a Bible, there are pew Bibles um, provided for you underneath the chair in front of you, and uh, if you're using that, turn to page 812. And there we're going to read God's word in Matthew chapter 7 as we finish out this series, verse, verses 13 to the end in verse 29. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished saying these things, finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, uh, what is arguably the greatest sermon ever preached. And so, Lord, I pray that you would 
Use me to, as we conclude in this series, to be able to lay hold of what we desire and to be able to live for you and your kingdom. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I was preparing for this sermon in its conclusion, I started doing some research and started reading up on different, different commentaries and whatnot, and I came upon this one experiment that was done at Duke. And it was led by this researcher named Keith Wilcox. And what he did was he took a group of very highly self-controlled people to be able to run this experiment where they chose three different food items on their plates. And this is what they were. There were fries, chicken nuggets, and a baked potato. Yum, yes, it's delicious. Maybe some of you are hungry and haven't had, had lunch yet or breakfast yet. But these were the three options. And what was fascinating for the researcher and his group was that most refrained from eating, guess what? The fries. Why? Because it was unhealthy. And they wanted to choose something that was healthier than the fries. Now then, what Wilcox did afterwards was he took another group of very self-controlled people and he gave them these three things, but he added one more. Salad. <laughs> and what he did was he gave them these four options on their plate and he asked them, pick one thing that you could eat. And guess what the majority of self-controlled people chose? Fries. They chose fries. And what Wilcox basically concluded was what he called vicarious goal fulfillment. And what he meant by this was this. This is what he concluded. He said, the mere presence of the healthy food option vicarious, vicariously fulfills nutrition-related goals and provides consumers with a license to indulge. In other words, if, if that's confusing to you, what he concluded was that even by just seeing a healthy option on the plate, that was good enough to satisfy their goal to be healthy, and they chose what was not. That is what vicarious goal fulfillment is, and each and every single one of us does it. Case in point, I had a club fitness membership that I never went to for over a year. And a lot of us have membership to gyms, and we never use it. Why? Because it satisfies, and it, it, we feel like it's good enough for us to be able to have it and think that we're healthy, but do everything other and eat whatever we want, drink whatever we want, because I'm healthy, because I have a gym membership. I could think I'm going to go work out today, but I don't, so I'll have that donut, Right? And Jesus warns us here of this vicarious goal fulfillment. What do I mean by that? For these people who were listening to Jesus' sermon, it was those followers of Jesus, but also it was those who were just mesmerized, who were just onlookers. And for both groups, as they listened to Jesus' sermon from chapters 5 through 7, they left going, wow, I feel good about myself. That was interesting. 
I agree with a lot of what Jesus said. And I got my daily fix, and now I could do whatever I want for the rest of my day, for the rest of my week. And sadly, we do that too, don't we? We come in Sunday morning. We lift up some prayers. We hear a sermon. We sing some songs. You get to talk to some folks. And you feel good about yourself. You're like, yeah, what Dan said makes a lot of sense. The confession that I just prayed, I could say that. But then that's enough for you to go back into your life and live the way you want to live. Do the things you want to do at the expense of not following what Jesus actually has called us to do. He's warning us of this vicarious goal fulfillment that we can do here on Sunday mornings, that you could do at home just by praying and reading the Bible, doing the right things, but then going on and doing the unhealthy things like eating fries. And here today, as Jesus concludes his sermon, we don't get this rah-rah, like this great motivational speech to end it. We actually get a very sobering conclusion to his sermon. Which road, which path will you choose? And what's interesting is that to answer which path we are on or which path we will choose can only be answered by what kind of person you are. Did you hear that? The only way you can know which path you are on is to answer by which kind of person you are. And that's what Jesus gets at with all of these different imageries that we just read. And that's what I want to do this morning, is first begin with this Latin word, via media. And what does that mean? Via media basically means the middle road. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we all want to just take the middle road. Jesus says there's one gate that's narrow and one gate that's broad. One path that is narrow and one path that is broad and wide and easy while the other is hard. And for a lot of us, we go, I don't want to choose either. I want via media. I want the middle road. Because why? If you choose one or the other, that's extreme. You're a fanatic. And via media comes from this Greek philosopher, Aristotle. And what he said was he taught his students <coughs> to follow the middle road between the extremes. The via media was a dominant philosophical rule of life for many Greek Roman students and for just a way of living back then. And to deviate from this middle way <coughs> was to risk being dubbed an extremist or fanatic. And everybody resented being faced with the necessity of a choice. But you see here, Jesus will not allow us to escape that. There is no via media. It's one or the other. There's two gates, wide and narrow. There is no other gate. Two crowds, large and small, there is no neutral group. Two trees, healthy and one diseased. There is no diseased tree with good fruit. Two houses, built on sand and one built on rock. 
And it ends in two destinations, destruction and life. There is no third alternative. It's either going to be hard or it's going to be easy. There is no middle way. But such talk is so unfashionable today, right? It's all about being tolerant. And we like to be tolerant people. We like to be uncommitted people, don't we? One of the funniest things or one of the pet peeves I have <coughs> is uh, evites, right? It's either you accept yes, no, or what? Third, maybe, via media. And I get so irked whenever I see maybe. And it doesn't even have to be my evite. I go right to the guest list and I go and I look who's coming, who's not coming, and then the maybes, I'm like, oh my gosh, just make a choice. But I'm like that too. We all want to just go down that middle road because it's easy, it's safe, it's fashionable, it's the tolerant way. But think about Jesus' sermon on the mount that we've been going through this entire fall series for the last 10 weeks. If you go back to chapter 5, Jesus asked, who are the blessed people? What is the blessed life? And in summary, what Jesus was saying is the blessed life, life is if you stop living for your own kingdom, for your own identity, for your own self-worth, and live for what? The kingdom of God. It's those who are poor in spirit, who are meek, who are peacemakers, who, who are um, pure in heart. You see, these are the people that are blessed, who are living according to not my own kingdom, but God's kingdom. And then we see later on, Jesus then says, well, if you live by my kingdom, you will be salt and light, right? You will be the salt to the manure of all the destruction and devastation that we all see, whether it's in your workplace, in your family, in relationships. And if you live for this kingdom, you will be salt. You won't only prevent decay, but you will actually bring flourishing. You'll bring life because it's so attractive. And then, and then Jesus goes on to say what? But that righteousness that you live needs to exceed the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the great people. Everyone looked up to them. If you remember my sermon, I said, well, uh, if you have, if you have uh, what's her name in India? <laughs> yes, Mother Teresa. <laughs> If you have Mother Teresa and you have Kim Jong-un, where is the middle line between good and bad? You need to be far exceeding Mother Teresa in your righteousness. That's what Jesus is calling us to, right? And remember I showed you that dirty shirt I was wearing. What do we cover our, righteous, our, our mess with? It could be your own righteousness or Christ's righteousness. And what does that mean? Well, that means how... how do you relate with people? How do you relate to yourself? How do you relate to God? If you have anger in your heart, you are killing. You're being a murderous person in your heart. If you lust, you are committing adultery. If you, if you pray and fast and you give, is it something you do just from the heart or do you want everybody to know because you care about how people think of you? You want to make yourself great. And then last week we looked at 
judgment and critical hearts, right? What kind of person are you? And what's fascinating is Jesus gives us, he gives these two, all these different illustrations, right? He says, there's a good tree and a bad tree. There's a true disciple and a false disciple. There's a house built on rock and a house built on sand. What kind of person are you? But here's the kicker. There's no way for you to know. Just looking visibly on the outside, on the external, there is no difference. Let me give you an example. These two coffee cups look exactly the same. They look exactly the same. But the only difference with these cups is that one cup has coma coffee that we serve that you should try after the service because <laughs> it's great, and one is empty. How do you know which one? Right? And what Jesus is saying is that though they look exactly the same, the tree, the house, the person, it all depends on the inside. You could be doing the exact same things. You could be praying. You could be coming to church. You could say, Lord, Lord. You could prophesy. You could cast demons out. Both people can do that. But there's a difference. And it's about the inside. It's about what's going on in the heart. And that's what Jesus' entire Sermon on the Mount has been. That's what we've been looking at, right? It's what's on the inside. You think about a tree. How do you know? It's by the fruit. What are they actually bearing in their life? When you look at a follower of Jesus, I mean, it's scary. It could be pastors, right, who are prophesying. Those are the pastors. Those are the elders. It could be lay people. We're doing things in the name of God. We're doing great things, actually, what Jesus says. But what is Jesus' conclusion? I never knew you. That's scary. That is scary that on judgment day, there will be pastors that you looked up to. There will be spiritual people who were Jesus on judgment day will say, I never knew you. And when you look at the house, one is you, just by looking at the house, there's no way you can know what the difference is. The exact two same houses. But what? When the storms come, you will know because of its foundation. One is built on the rock and one is built on sand because that one will just crumble. So if via, via media, going down the middle road is not an option. And the only way we can know is by what's on the inside that leaves us wanting to know then how? How do I know which path I'm on? How do I know that at the end of judgment day, Jesus will either say, well done, my good and faithful servant, or he'll say, I never knew you. How do we know? And it brings me to my second point. It's via Messiah. It is only by Christ. The response that Matthew records at the end of Jesus' sermon is worth paying attention to. What do we read? 
it says this. It says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The Greek word for astonished communicates strength. And here, these, the crowd was thunderstruck by the things that Jesus said. And the authority that Matthew records that Jesus spoke with nothing like anything of this world literally meant out of original stuff. That's what authority means, out of original stuff. It's the root word for author, right? And so as Jesus is giving this sermon and talking about life and the law, the Sermon on the Mount, what Matthew is recording, he's saying that what he is speaking is not something that's derived from some authority, but it's actually original. And what I mean by that is it wasn't just to clarify something that they already knew or simply interpret the scriptures in the way that the teachers of the law taught, but rather his listeners sensed somehow that he was explaining the story of their lives as the author of their lives, and it left them dumbfounded, thunderstruck. And that's why they were amazed. And it's not that they were just amazed. The reason this is so important for us in figuring out what path we are, what kind of person I am, is that every single word that is uttered by Jesus in this sermon points back to himself. It points back to himself. Everything that was uttered he was the only one, unlike any other authority before or after him, that came to fulfill the sermon that he just preached. It wasn't just go do those things because I think those are wonderful things to do. But he's the only one who can actually and did fulfill every single word that he preached. I mean, it's crazy. As I preach through this sermon series, I have been called out on not being a man of integrity. When I said, I promise you, and I still do it. When my kids still remind me I haven't given them their allowance. Every time I think about getting angry when I'm driving. Or last week as I shared, as I'm judgmental and critical. My own heart of people in my own church. Of my own wife, of my own children. You see, we cannot keep the Sermon on the Mount. It is actually judgment on us. But the only way that we can keep it is when we look to the Messiah Christ. He did it perfectly, perfectly. So when we pray, we don't pray for the need for God's assurance. We pray because we've already received God's assurance and his love and his affection. Because he's done everything perfectly, because he's gone through the narrow gate where he suffered and died for us, because he's kept the law perfectly, we know that we can go to him in our failures. And we know that we can keep trying to keep the law that Christ has called us to. Why? Because he's done it for us. He is the perfect one. And the question for us is, how do you cover your brokenness? How do you cover your faults? How do you cover your shortcomings? 
Do you cover it by just trying harder, by praying more, by trying to earn God's love for you? Or in your brokenness and in your sin and in your shortcomings, because you know you can't keep this law that Jesus has preached, we go to the one and we are covered by his righteousness, his perfection, his works, his death on the cross. So the only way we can do it is by putting our faith in Christ's perfect work and his death on the cross. Do you get that? It's when we are willing to put our trust in him. We have built our foundation not on sand, but on the rock. It says the rock, not a rock, but the rock of Christ. What kind of person are you? It's only through Jesus himself who has fulfilled the law perfectly on your behalf. That is the only way. We will find freedom. We'll find joy. We'll find peace. We'll find satisfaction. I'm listing the Beatitudes in what we will receive. That is true life. And though the, the road is narrow, we experience life like no other in the world. And I think that brings me to the third point here. It's via magnificence. And what do I mean by via magnificence? Listen to these quotes. Blaise Pascal said this. He said, men despise religion. They hate it and are afraid it may be true. The cure for this is first to show that religion is not contrary to reason, but worthy of reverence and respect. Next, make it attractive. May good men wish it were true and then show that it is. One pastor talked about how the Jesus of dogma I do not understand. This is what a Hindu professor once said to a pastor. The Jesus of dogma I do not understand, but the Jesus of the Sermon on the Mount and the cross I love and am drawn to. Similarly, a Muslim Sufi Teacher told him that when he read the Sermon on the Mount, he could not keep back the tears. You see, when we are willing to put our lives in the hands of Christ and to live accordingly, it is attractive. It is magnificent. And for us, what we are called to is to live according to this counterculture. You know, it's not about trying to be spiritually upper middle class as I preached, right? But that's what we want. But that's what the world lives by. And here we have a completely different culture that Christ is calling us to, this alternate society that says, no, it's about being broken in spirit. It's about actually reveling, in, one, in a sense, of your weakness. Why? So that Christ's strength may be known. And when we begin to do that, there will be people in your family, in your workplace, in your community that will long for that, right? Think about this. Who doesn't crave and long for comfort? This is the Beatitudes. 
who doesn't long for being called adopted into the family of God, who doesn't long for satisfaction, who doesn't long for mercy, who doesn't long for righteousness, who doesn't long for purity and goodness. And the world tries to crave it, and there comes a point where the storms come. When the storms come and we are living our lives according to Christ, where we have his righteousness covered, and even when storms come for us, our house is standing, we become absolutely attractive to the community around us. Let me give you an example. Just this week, I met, I ran into someone I would consider a friend now, and he has the whole world in his hands. He's got all the money. He's got any relationship he wants. He has every car imaginable. He has what the world would say and deem successful. But as I ran into him on Wednesday, and I just asked him how things are going, he immediately opened up and said, man, my life is a mess. My life is a mess. I don't know what's going on. Um, my relationships are tattered. My kids don't want to talk to me. And I have nothing to do on Thanksgiving. And I said, well, you know, you, we need to talk sometime. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I have your cell phone. I'm like, and you're always welcome to come. If you need to pick me up or just to be able to hear something different, come. And he's like, oh, you don't want a guy like me. Like, people will run away, and, and I'll be struck down by lightning if I entered your church. And I said, what are you talking about, man? Like, we are all broken. We are all jacked up. We're all messed up. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I need to hear that more. Did you hear that? I need to hear that more. Why? Because he's living this maxim, this life that says, no, you need to have everything together. You should be happy. You should be content. You should be experiencing peace, comfort, satisfaction. And the gospel in that moment that I preached to him was, no, we're all broken. We're all jacked up. And for in that moment, for him, you just saw a moment of just peace and comfort come to him. Because it was countercultural, something that he doesn't hear often. And some of you go, might go, well, yeah, you're a pastor, so he knows you're, a, you're a, a man of God and whatnot. No way. Why? Because I believe it's the gospel. It is the salt. It can only do what it is born and created to do. It will bring flourishing. It will bring life. It will prevent decay because it is the good news of Jesus. And if we're willing to put all our lives on it, even in our failures, people will come to want to know who this Jesus is. That's the Sermon on the Mount, recognizing that there is no third way, there is no via media to live by where we live the easy life, but that it can only be answered by Christ. He has fulfilled it. He has lived it. And thirdly, 
We are called to go out and be salt and light to a community and a world that is craving for something that is different. And he invites us to do that. And that's what we're called to do as restoration. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And we thank you for the greatest sermon that was ever preached. Not just because of the words that were uttered, but because of the one who uttered them and lived it perfectly and died on our behalf because we can't live it perfectly. So Father, I pray for each and every single one of us here. May we be able to understand the gravity of what you have done for us. To be able to put our lives in your hands. To be able to experience comfort, satisfaction, peace, life, joy. And that by doing so, Lord, the world may know who you are. Lord, it's not easy. So Lord, I pray that you would give us courage, you would give us strength, and you would give us grace. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue our worship, we have the opportunity to profess our faith together. As we live it out, we need to know what we believe. So let's profess our faith with the Apostles' Creed found on page 7 or on the screen provided for you. Let's, what do you believe, restoration? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, life everlasting. Amen. As we come to the table, we have the beautiful reminder of what Christ has done for us. Via, not via media, but via Messiah. Buddha said, strive without ceasing. That was his last word, strive without ceasing. Jesus' last words as he went to the Christ, as he went to the cross was, it is finished. Who do you want to follow? I want to follow Christ. He finished it. The burden of us trying to do our best and try to prove our self-worth and our identity, Christ has done it. And here at the table, we're not only reminded of it, but we get to feast upon him and receive the grace so that we might be able to go out and be able to be magnificent, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is. And so let's come to the table, feast, and remember, and experience the love and grace of our Savior. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we ask as we come to the table that you might feed us, that you might renew us, you might remind us of what you have done for us so that we might be able to go out and not try, just try harder, but be able to rest in the work that you have done and be able to live our lives of of ones who have experienced Jesus Christ and others who will be able to experience that love and joy and contentment in their lives as well. Lord, I pray for anyone here who is wrestling through that, 
Lord, I pray that this would be that good news of Jesus so that they might also be able to experience the love, joy, peace, and contentment that only can come in Christ. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The night that our Lord was betrayed after giving thanks, he broke bread, said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat and do this remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took of the cup. And after giving thanks, he also poured it and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sin. For as long as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he returns. Brothers and sisters, come to the table, eat, and receive the joy and love that he offers to you now. For some of you, if you are not there yet, if you're not a follower of Christ, let these elements pass by. There's no shame in that. But continue to ponder on this one who offers himself to you. It's not strive and try to try harder. But Christ has done it all for you. In him you can rest. May, th may that be your hope today. And if you're ready to do that, then feast, let us know. We'd be excited to be able to rejoice in what Christ has done in your life. But if not, that's okay. I don't want you to do something that you're not ready to do yet. For the rest of us, let's come eat, hold both. We'll take it together, signifying our unity in the body of Christ. Uh, if there's a gluten-free option if you need it. And there's also grape juice on the outer ring if you can't have any wine. We'll sing this song as the elements are passed. And let's remember the great work of our Savior and Lord.